that word. I'll read a passage of scripture from Paul's second epistle to the Thessalonians in chapter 2. We'll just read a couple of verses, verse 16 and verse 17. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. May God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now today is traditionally what we call Father's Day. It was a has been a tradition, I guess, for hundreds of years, um, made popular, I think, through the Catholic Church and what they called St. Joseph's Day originally, and it had spread to the Western culture and has become a national holiday associated with uh, such observances as like Mother Day, uh, Sibling Day, Grandparent Day, Father's Day a day when we honor the fathers, and so we should. We're exhorted to do that in scriptures. Honor thy father and thy mother that the days may be long, for this is the first law, first commandment that's given with promise. You ever think about that? That there was a commandment given with a promise that if you do that, your days will be long? Well... I'd like for us this morning to consider the text that we just read, a benediction in the words of Paul, and I'd like for us to think about how he has presented our God in this passage. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I hear the name God, I think of as we sang this morning of a sovereign being, one who, who rules and controls all things. And yet at the same time, we lose sight of the fact that not only is he a sovereign God, but he is a father. He is our father. And that's what our text says. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together and ask the Lord's blessing on the teaching of his word. Our Father in heaven, it is with praise and adoration in our hearts that we come before thy throne of grace. We do come pleading the shed blood of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our only hope. We are thankful today that through his death, and the shedding of his blood, that he has opened a new and living way that we can come into the Holy of Holies and speak with a thrice holy God. We ask, O oh Lord, today that you would be with us in this place, that you might pour out your spirit upon us, that the blessed spirit would take the word as it's presented and make it alive unto us, that you might quicken our hearts to that word, and that you might use it in our lives to conform us to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We do lift up for you those prayer requests that were mentioned today, especially do we think of our pastor and his wife, Lynn, at this time. Well, we know that he has a servant's heart and his desire is to be here. And we just ask that you would be pleased to touch their bodies, their, heal their infirmities, raise them up, restore them whole, and return them to this place that we might have the joy of their fellowship. And we again now ask your blessings upon the word, and we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, as we read these words, at least in my mind, I find this to be a very tender word spoken by the Apostle Paul. He has written two epistles to the Thessalonians. We find that they were a people, probably one of the earlier churches that was established by Paul, had a special place in his heart. And it's, of course, the dating of all these books is somewhat questionable, but probably one of the earlier epistles by Paul is the letters written to the Thessalonians. And he has reminded them that they were a people loved of God, people loved by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a people even loved by Paul himself. He has spoken a word of exhortation to these people. He's given thanks for their faithfulness, their faithful service to God. He exhorts them to continue steadfast in that. And beginning back at verse 13, we didn't read these, but we could look at this. This is Paul, as he says, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, unto which he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. quite a testimony that he bears to this people. And he gives thanks unto his God for them, but he has a prayer for them as he continues in verse 16 in our text. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, he is asking that these be a source of benediction, a source of blessing to this people, and what is he asking for them? Well, that's verse 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. We find in our text the words, two people, two persons are named here. The Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Somewhat different rendering of the order in which these names are usually mentioned. Because here Paul first mentions the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he mentions God the Father. And I think we'll see a reason for that as we get into this. 
But I'd like for us to consider what he says, first of all, about the Father. And God, even our Father. That's a term of endearment, isn't it? That's a term of a special relationship that exists between a child and the man they call father, or the individual they call father. We all have earthly fathers. None of us would be here without a father, even as we say none of us would be here without a mother. And both of those are true. And it, it really, it, it pains the heart to look at our society today and see how the role of the father has been so diminished and in some cases completely removed from the home. The young people today have little guidance from the role of the father. They don't have one to look to that is supposed to be an example, that is supposed to relate in his physical uh, family the attributes, the character of our Heavenly Father. The one who is to be the head of the house, they don't have a head of household. The one who is to, to love and provide and to nurture is not there to provide any of those things. And so as the children of God, we have a most blessed assurance in knowing that our Heavenly Father is always there. That our Heavenly Father has a love that can be, you know, it's unconditional. It cannot be diminished, cannot be withheld. He loves his people. And that's how he tells us. God, even our Father, who hath loved us. That's the description that Paul gives to these Thessalonians of their Heavenly Father. He wants them to remember that he loves them. Now we have a father who seems to be far removed, our father in heaven. You know, Christ taught his disciples, those that would hear his words, both in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, and in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he speaks of his heavenly father and how his heavenly father will provide things that the people, his children, have need of. But just because our father is in heaven does not mean that he is, you know, some theologians call him the transcendent God, saying that he is so far removed from us that we can't have any kind of relationship with him. And that's false. That's a false idea, that's a false notion. The very reason that we were created and placed upon the earth is that we might have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. God created man that man might have a relationship with him, to communicate with him, to have communion with him. That's the reason Adam, in the Garden of Eden, you'll recall, it says in the, in the cool of the day that Adam and Eve heard the voice of God walking in the garden. And the voice of God, who is that but the Lord Jesus Christ? A pre-incarnate Christ walked with them and talked with them and communed with them. We don't have that physical uh, 
reality, but we can walk daily with our Lord. We can have daily communion with our Father. That's what prayer is all about. When we don't spend time in prayer, it's only hurting us. How many days would go by that you don't speak to your Father when you're at home? I can tell you, my mom was living down in Florida, and I shamefully have to admit I do not call her to talk with her nearly as often as I should. My wife can tell you that. She reminds me, she said, you need to call your mom. <laughs> so, so I do those. I do that. It's always a blessing. It's always a comfort to hear her, uh, to hear her voice. It should be for us as the children of God a comfort to spend time with the Father in prayer. We can be like the Apostle John when he says in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love Father has, God has bestowed upon us that we, you and I, should be called the children of God. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us. That is an interesting word, love. But it's hard to define. Have you ever tried to just stop and think about the word love and how to define that word? I mean, it's thrown around so much. People use it in relation to everything, you know, like, oh, I love that car, or I, I, I love that book, or I love that movie, or I love, you know, not really. You don't. <laughs> That's not what love is all about. Unfortunately, people have an idea, and they confuse love with, with just an emotion or just a feeling, and it's so much more than that. And we have as an example, we have as an, a teacher, to show us what love is, our God. Even our Father, who has loved us. Love is a matter of, of the will. He determined that he was going to set his love upon a people. And he has done that. And there's not anything that can change that. If he has ever loved you, he will love you everlasting. Nothing you do will cause him to love you. Nothing you do will cause him to stop loving you. He has set his love upon you because it pleased him to do so. And like it or not, he is a heavenly father who continues to love with an unconditional love. You see, the source of the blessing in this benediction, and that's what we're looking at as a benediction. Ever considered the benediction what that is? We think of, you know, a lot of times we'll be dismissed with the benediction. What's called the benediction in scriptures is given, it's called Aaron, the priest benediction, or Aaron's benediction is given to Moses back in the book of Numbers. Actually, a benediction is not just a blessing, it's an intercessory prayer. Have you thought of that? You know what an intercessory prayer is? It's when we pray not for ourselves, but we pray for others. A benediction is when we are making an intercessory prayer, praying that God will bless another individual. 
As a matter of fact, a benediction is a prayer of intercession that is expressed in the presence of the person or persons for whom it is offered. When Moses or Aaron pronounced the benediction, the people were there and they heard them pronounce that or ask God to bless them in that way. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, gracious unto you. May the Lord cause his countenance to to shine upon you and and, uh, give you peace. That was a blessing that they had prayed for the people in the hearing of the people. Paul here is asking God, he is interceding on behalf of the people at Thessalonica, asking that our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, would bless these people with a comfort, comfort for the heart that they might be established and established in every good word and work. But the person who is offering the benediction does not have the power to give the blessing for which they ask. You ever thought about that? Abraham, when he blessed his son Isaac, It was an amazing blessing that he asked for, but he didn't have the power to fulfill that. Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, when he was called upon to to bless, uh, or Jacob, when he was called upon to bless the sons of Joseph. You recall when he was brought in, he took and crossed his hands to bless them. And there was a reason for him doing that. He was to bless the younger and the older child with certain blessings. But he had no power to communicate that blessing. Who is it? Who is the source of power? Who is the one who can give that blessing? Well, Paul tells us here it's our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father. Note the wording. Here is a personal influence of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Words have meaning. Scriptures are inspired of God. The Holy Spirit had a reason for including that. And he is telling us that Christ is identifying with his own people. He came into this world and took a form of a servant, flesh and blood like unto ours for a purpose, that he might understand us, that he might be able to empathize with us, that he might be able to be a sympathetic high priest, being tried, being tested, tempted in all points like us, yet he was without sin. When you're hurting, whatever the cause may be, when you're hurting, God knows Christ has experienced that, you see. When it comes to something like family, not understanding your 
filiation, your love for the Father. You know? The enemy shall be those of your own household. When you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and in newness of life you began to follow after him, some of your family didn't understand what was going on. Guess what? Christ's brothers and sisters didn't believe he was the Christ either. He knows what it is to have problems at home. You have had friends that have been disappointments. Friends that have forsaken you. Guess what? Our Lord had friends that were disappointments that forsook him. He knows the hurt that can cause. He knows all of our feelings and is a sympathetic high priest. He loves us and he can comfort us. You see, it is his divinity, his goodness, his sacrifice that give him the authority to bless us. He's not just a man. He is the God-man. He is both God and man. And the reason I think his name was given first is because he is a mediator between God and man. There's only one mediator, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is a mediator between God and men. If we are to approach unto the Father, it has to be through Christ. And so he, he prays this way. He asks this blessing this way. Now, the, our Lord, you, you, you see that little pronoun, our? That's a possessive pronoun for English students. <laughs> that's, he's talking about, that's my Savior we're talking about here. You feel that way? You ever personalize this thing? It's not just that, that Christ is a Savior. Christ is my Savior. Is he yours? It's not just that he died for sinners. He died for me. Did he die for you? It, it wasn't just sin that was nailed to the cross. That was my sin that was nailed to the cross. Was your sin nailed to the cross with him? He's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. And there is a certain blessing. There's a certain ministry that he has retained to himself. And one of them is the blessing of his people. He raised up the disciples, the apostles that were to serve him to continue his ministry upon the earth. We were studying that in the book of Acts this morning. The office of deacon was established that there might be some to, to serve the Lord in a certain capacity. But when it comes to the blessings that are given to us by the Father, they come through Christ. He confirms the blessings himself personal God, personal Savior. And then as we saw, not only is a person uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ mentioned, but and God, even our Father. Paul wants to remind us, yes, we have a mighty God, we have a sovereign king. As we sang just a little while ago, our God reigns. And he is king, king of kings and lord of lords. But guess what? That all-powerful God who is king of kings and lord of lords is our father. If you're a child of the king, he's your father and he's my father. And you know what it says about him? 
God, even our Father, who loved us. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? The love of God. Can you, as we already started to mention earlier, how do you, how do you define love? How can we enter into uh, the love of God? It's been said that uh, there was a song written about it, I think, that if the ocean was, was you know, an inkwell and, and every uh, tree uh, a pen and every person a scribe, the heavens could not contain the whole of the love of God. You can't comprehend that. So vast is his love. We don't want to get so caught up with the other attributes of God that we lose sight. That for all of that, he is still our father. That we can approach unto him as a child approaches a father. He has opened the doors. He has torn the curtain, removed the veil, and made a possibility, made it possible for us to enter into the very presence of God and kneel at the very throne of his grace to ask and petition him for grace in time of need. Uh, some of you might remember had a preacher used to come speak at some of our conferences, played football for Georgia. Uh, he was a bulldog. Played, played for Vince uh, Dooley. What was his name? Chuck. Chuck. He gave an illustration one time of this. He had uh, been playing, I don't know, for some time, going out to practice, was all worn out, kind of feeling down and out about the whole game and where he actually stood in the football program and, and, and just, you know, almost weeping and, and, and not knowing what to do. And this little bitty boy comes by and sees this great big old football player and asks him, he said, what's the matter? And he began to tell him, he said, I just need to talk to Coach Dooley but I can't get in to see him. Come with me, said the little boy. Walked in the office. Nobody said anything to him, didn't even look up. He walked right through the sec past the secretary's desk, walked to the door, opened the door to the office, walked inside. and said, Dad, this guy needs to talk to you. That's what Christ has done for us. He takes us by the hand and leads us right into the very presence of God and says, this child needs to talk to you. We have a father who loves us. We have one who does not bless as a master would pay wages to a servant, but rather a father who deals affectionately with his children. Some of you that may have been in business, you know what it is to sign a check, paycheck for some of your employees, or to, to see your employees get a paycheck. That's, that's the way it should be done. But your children, there's not anything you wouldn't do for your children, is there? 
I mean, it is prudent for parents to teach their children, to instruct their children, to develop the children, to have a good work ethic, to help them to realize that nothing is free for nothing, that everything comes at a cost. But at the same time, moms will go without eating a certain food so the children can have it. Fathers will work extra hours so they can buy this thing that, you know, the little child wanted to have for Christmas or a birthday or whatever that they couldn't have otherwise. You make sacrifices for your children. Our Father so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish should have life everlasting. The only way salvation could be wrought was by our Heavenly Father giving up His Son. God has loved us. It doesn't say that God pitied us, although that's true. Psalm 103, the psalmist there says in verse 13, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him. That's not what our text says. You can feel pity for someone you don't love. The text doesn't say that our God had mercy on us, yet that is true. God loves to show mercy, is plenteous in mercy. His mercy endureth forever. But he instructs us to show mercy to others, even to our enemies. The text doesn't say that we have a benevolent father. Ever heard of a benevolent person? You know, one who's caring, one's compassionate. A bridegroom is not benevolent toward his wife. He loves his wife. A father child, uh, and, and mother, they're not benevolent to their children. They love their children. And that's what he says here. He is a God, our Father, who hath loved us. It is such a love, such a love that God has drawn us unto himself with the bonds and the bands of love that we have become one with him. Takers of divine nature, Scripture tells us. We have to be in Christ. He has to be a part of us, and we are a part of him like a vine in the branches. So much so are we a part of God that whenever he does something for himself, he's actually doing it for us as well. And so then we think not only did he love, but he loved us. Loved us. Sinful creatures that we are a people that are ungrateful, people that are stiff-necked, people that are rebellious. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It had to be that way. And you see, it is this love that is the great foundation of our spiritual blessings. 
It is the tender mercies that we find in our Lord Jesus Christ, all of those blessings, and we have all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. But they spring forth from the Father's love. I shared with you last week a passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, where you can read of all that we have in Christ, that we are in Christ, that we are joined with Christ, that we are blessed through Christ. But as we mentioned, all of that started with verse 4, talking about, but God so riches he in love. It's his love. Here, as we said, Christ is put forth first because he is our passage to these blessings. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Christ told his disciples, he said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to the Father. Only one way to know the blessings of the Father. Only one way to enter into that kind of relationship where we know God as Heavenly Father. That's in Christ. We have I have no verse to tell us exactly when God began to love his people. We're just told in the beginning. In the beginning. When did God choose his people? For the foundation of the world. He has from the beginning set his love upon us. We don't know when that is. You can, you can look at your life and you can either start now and work your way back or you can try to go to the beginning of your life and work your way forward and you cannot tell at what point God started loving you because it's always been there. It's always there. There is what is called prevenient grace where God keeps his people and brings them to the place wherein he converts them, quickens them, saves them. Just like the parable that Christ told, even when we were afar off, God saw us. Saw us because he was drawing us, coming to him, and he ran out to meet us. Didn't wait for us to get there. We seek him because he first sought us. We call upon him because he first called us. We love him because he first loved us. We have some assurance of this benediction, this blessing being given. He asked it of our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father who hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Everlasting consolation. What is that? It's eternal comfort. The word here, consolation, is actually, or could be translated comfort. 
just like the word in verse 17 is comfort. And it's the same root word from which Christ told his disciples that it was expedient for him to go away, that he might send who? The comforter, the parakletos. That's the word that's used here. One to come along beside to help. We have an everlasting consolation. God has, by his spirit, taken up abode with his people. He abides in each and every one of us. He is with us. We have an everlasting, we have an eternal comfort, consolation in knowing that the spirit of the triune God abides with us. And one of the things that he gives us is a spirit of peace. A spirit of peace. The peace that comes from the forgiveness of sin. We don't see it so much in ourselves, but we have been cleansed every whit. We've been washed as clean and white as snow. Sin that separated us from God has been removed. It's been paid for. The only reason it separates us from God, Isaiah talks about that. He said it is your sin that has separated between you and your God. God doesn't change. He's immutable. So what changes? If we have sinned, the thing that changed is us. That fellowship is broken because of our sin. And that causes uh, us to feel shame, guilt, and would make us out of fear to withdraw ourselves from God. And it should not be. There should be a peace because we have the forgiveness of sin. We have peace because the word of God is sure. It stands sure and certain. You'll find that again in the book of Isaiah. Not only that, we have rest. Peace, a gift of God, comforts us, gives us peace, and gives us rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will rest you. I will give you rest. What kind of rest is that? He's not just talking about uh, an eight-hour sleep. He's talking about resting the weariness of our soul. The rest of faith. The rest of knowing that our Father works all things together for our good and to his glory. The rest of knowing that there is a truth to the resurrection, that we will be resurrected. Because he lives, we shall live. We have a hope for the future. As was mentioned in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, it tells us that God's word is sure and stands forever. God will not make a promise and then fail to perform or deliver on that promise. It's an everlasting consolation because it's based upon an everlasting foundation. It's the everlasting love of God you'll find in Psalm 103, verse 17. 
It's founded upon the everlasting merit of our Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 9, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for his people. He's able to save to the uttermost. As part of that everlasting foundation is the everlasting covenant that is based upon the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 13. So it is in this vein that Paul prays for these blessings, a comfort of heart. Verse 17, may God comfort your hearts and may God establish you or give you stability of mind and purpose. You see, surface, our service must come from the heart. Has to be out of love to the Father. Dr. Foster said this before. If love makes all the difference in our relation to God, if there is no love, then we're only robots. You have to have that ability to love. We have to be free moral agents to either love or to not love. And those that do not love will pay the price for their rebellious. We find that he extends this stability to watch over our tongue, what we say. It was Christ himself who said, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out that defileth the man. We should watch over our tongue, keep watch. And we must be steadfast. This is what Paul ask for his people, his children in the faith, that the God who is their father, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself would bless them with a comfort for their heart and to establish them. And I pray that that